A break for BC taxis. You know, the one-two punch was right healing first and then COVID-19. The province offers pandemic relief. Why some drivers say it's not nearly enough. Trouble brewing for Tim Hortons. And he'd even tracked me on vacation all the way to Morocco. Questions about the coffee giant's app and how it might be following your every move. And welcome back to Whistler. Pretty exciting. It's a little different though in the pandemic. The mountain reopens, but not exactly how you remember it. You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. Chris is off tonight. The province is giving taxi operators a long-awaited break. The industry was already struggling to compete with ride hailing when COVID-19 dealt an unprecedented and devastating blow. Richard Zussman has more on what the government is doing and why the BC Taxi Association says it doesn't go far enough. The taxi industry has been trying to hail a break for months. On Monday, one arrived. We've announced that we're uh, reducing the license fee. We want to ensure that uh, people who are making a living in the taxi industry um, are able to have a little bit more money in their pocket. For example, if a taxi company has 350 vehicles, the licensing fee goes from 35000 a year to $5,000. So just looking at Yellow Cab, that's a savings of you know, $30,000 for our fleet alone. But a company with 40 vehicles would go from $4,000 to $2,000 a year, a much smaller break. It should have been uh, equalized somehow. Taxi companies are thankful for the financial support, but say it falls far short of what they've lost due to the pandemic, mainly because there are far fewer cars and far fewer taxis on the road. I have never, never seen in a lifetime a scenario like COVID-19 uh, where everything in the taxi industry was shut down. One suggestion is to scrap regional boundaries for cabs. Currently, taxis can only legally pick up in a municipality where they are licensed. So a North Shore cab can drop someone off in downtown Vancouver, but can't drive someone else back home. This deadheading back means there's thousands and thousands of rides that go empty. And that doesn't make the system efficient and does not help the financial viability of the industry. But this policy is divisive, with the Vancouver Taxi Association, especially now in a pandemic, unwilling to give up their grips on the Vancouver market. The Metro Vancouver is the only regional district remaining in British Columbia where there are internal boundaries for taxis. We're imploring with this minister to please remove those boundaries. The Passenger Transportation Board currently reviewing data on the shift, but much of the data is now useless due to the pandemic rideship drop-off meaning companies and customers will have to continue to wait for a possible change. Richard Zussman, Global News, Victoria. Well, we have three days of COVID-19 numbers to report today. Here's a look at how we are doing. 26 new cases, 10 from Friday to Saturday, 14 Saturday to Sunday, and two cases Sunday through to this morning. In total, BC has had 2,904 cases. No new deaths to report, though, so that number stays at 174. 18 people are in hospital, five of them in the ICU. 2,577 people known to have had the virus are now considered fully recovered. That is 89% of all cases, which means we currently have 153 active cases. Our Keith Baldry joins us with more from today's COVID-19 
press conference, including reaction to a plan by Air Canada and WestJet mm -hmm. to end their seat distancing policy. This is a concern, Keith. A real concern voiced by both Dr. Bonnie Henry and Health Minister Adrian Dix. And Adrian Dix is calling on Transport Canada to clarify whether they're okay with uh, those two airlines ending social distancing measures when those are considered to be the most effective way to fight COVID-19. Here's Adrian Dix. What we want to hear, what I'd like to hear from Transport Canada, what I'd like to hear from Health Canada is, do they agree with this? because it is absolutely within their jurisdiction to deal with. So if what they're saying is what, what Air Canada and WestJet is doing is acceptable to them, they need to be explicit and they need to explain why it is. And uh, that's what we'll be waiting to hear. In the meantime, we all have to take our own responsibilities seriously. We cannot, cannot, cannot travel when sick. The consequences for other people are significant. All right, Keith, Dr. Bonnie Henry also addressed concerns today about a potential spike in cases with bars reopening. And that's yeah. given what happened at Brandy's show lounge and what we're seeing across the border. Yeah, she's quite concerned about that as well. She pointed out a couple of nightclubs that have opened south of the border led to a big spike in COVID-19 cases. And she's very concerned about that uh, Brandy uh, exotic club because she says they basically broke the rules. And she had a stern warning today to other businesses. If you break the rules, you potentially will lose your business, pointing out in a response to a question from me that there's a lot of inspectors out there who are going to keep, be keeping a close eye on things. WorkSafe and um, the public health inspectors do have uh, the ability to close places and make sure that they have an adequate plan um, so they would not be able to reopen unless they do come up with a, a plan that meets the criteria that we've established uh, for protection of both the employees and the patrons in those facilities. All right, one more thing, Keith, the news that many, so many people have been waiting for, a plan for long-term care home mm -hmm. visits is coming. Great news, folks. I've, I get more emails on this subject than any other one associated with the pandemic. So tomorrow at noon, Dr. Bonnie Henry, Health Minister Adrian Dix will be holding a news conference outlining a new policy, a very detailed one, I'm told, uh, covering opening up long-term care homes to access to visitors. Now there's going to be some rules in place because you just can't have everyone go in at once, but it will address such things as sanitation, uh, PPE, mask wearing and such, outdoor visits potentially. All care homes are going to be given some time to adapt to this. It's not going to happen overnight, but it is going to happen throughout this great news for so many people who haven't been able to see their loved ones for months now a lot of families will be happy about that all right thanks for that keith well it is one of bc's top destinations for both local and international visitors and now after more than three months of being shut down whistler blackcomb is back open that is where we find our grace key tonight grace it is far from business as usual there though well, Sophie, it's definitely not going to be the typical summer that you're used to here at Whistler Blackcomb. There's going to be some more limited activities, but despite that, people we spoke to are still excited to be back up here. Even with limited trails, mountain bikers were eager to hit the hills once again at the Whistler Mountain Bike Path. The resort is back open after its March 14th closure due to the pandemic. Pretty exciting. It's a little different, though, in the pandemic. So the lineup's not too bad. It's about a half an hour right now, but... Yeah, there's nobody on the trail, actually, so it's like, great. Yeah, it's great. You're encouraged to bring your own mask and expected to wear it in lines, getting on and off chairlifts and gondolas, and while inside resort facilities. You'll only be allowed on lifts and gondolas with your own party. As usual, enhanced cleaning and social distancing measures are in place. It's not going to be your typical summer at Whistler Blackcomb. It's all hands on deck right now to be able to deliver what we're able to deliver. And so instead of 
focusing our our energies on on making all these um, um, attractions operational, we felt that we could deliver on these three key things, right? Uh, limited bike park, limited sightseeing, and a limited food and beverage offers. In the village, most businesses are back open. Dublin Gate Pub at the Pan Pacific Hotel shut down the day before St. Patrick's Day and was finally back open just last week at 60% capacity. The whole weekend and like on Monday, Tuesday when we opened, we had lineups out the door, uh, basically from lunch on till dinner. Um, it didn't seem like we were full, but because it's 60%, we sort of were waiting around, but it was full. I mean, it was as full as we could be, which is awesome. As the summer progresses, more activities could be opening up at the resort. We're open because it's important for, for us to, to, to try it out. It'll help us inform what winter will look like for us. It's important for the businesses in the community that rely on us and the people that we employ. And so, um, um, which is why we, we kind of took the action to deliver this in a limited fashion. So if you are planning to come up here, you're being advised to check out the Whistler Blackcomb website for a list of businesses that are open and what their operations are going to look like with COVID-19. Sophie? All right, Grace Key and Whistler. Grace, thank you. BC caterers say their summer season is all but wiped out. While restaurant capacity rules have been relaxed, the catering industry is still lumped under larger events. At least one company has already gone under, and as Sarah McDonald reports, without a level playing field, others say they won't survive. Phase three of the province's economic recovery plan has injected new life into bars and restaurants, but the lifeline extended to industries allowed to cautiously reopen. Doesn't apply to those in the catering and event planning sectors, like these small business owners still struggling to stay afloat financially. We're in the phase four stage of once a vaccine um, you know, is created and out there, um, and we just don't know when that's going to happen. Which means Cheyenne Ackerson also doesn't know when her business, specializing in corporate events and weddings, will be back up and running, since almost anything requiring catering or planning also typically calls for more than 50 people in attendance. The majority of our events are kind of the 75 to 150 mark, so if we can fall within that range, then that would be hugely beneficial. Even industry giants aren't immune. One of the province's leading catering companies filing for bankruptcy last month and citing the pandemic after more than three decades in business. I think they're the first, but I don't think that they're going to be the last. I fear that there isn't going to be any catering companies left uh, in the industry. Brett Turner, the owner of two catering companies, understands the economic devastation of COVID all too well. For my companies in particular, uh, we're down 93% in sales. Is that pie? Yeah, so it's a galette. So it's an apple, rhubarb, and strawberry galette. What money he is making in what's supposed to be his most profitable season, the result of being creative, setting up shop in the Okanagan, selling baked goods and produce, as the province's top doctor stands firm on protocol. That is something that is not going to change. We are absolutely able to safely host 100 plus people uh, in a wide open venue. Something industry insiders are asking the province to reconsider as this sector works to salvage what's left of summer. Sarah McDonald, Global News. 
One day after anti-racism protesters targeted the home of Delta's police chief, Neil Dubord has broken his silence on allegations of assault made against his wife. This was the scene on Sunday, a group of people carrying signs with anti-racism messages in front of Neil and Lorraine Dubord's home at Centennial Beach. That's where Kieran Sadu says Lorraine yelled at her, making comments about her weight before spraying her with a garden hose. Sadu reported the incident to Delta Police and now Surrey RCMP are investigating. In a written statement, Delta Police Chief Constable Neil DeBoard says, I want to say unreservedly that the matter at hand in no way reflects the values and commitment to the community of the officers of the Delta Police Department, nor my own values. And... I want the community to know that I have not been involved in any way with the resulting investigation. DuBord goes on to say, given the recent meaningful and important discourse taking place around systemic racism, discrimination and violence in North America, I understand that transparency and trust are critically important, especially from those in the police department. Well, the case of two brothers who were acquitted of assaulting a Vancouver police officer has added fuel to the push for police body cameras. As Rumina Dea reports, a former B.C. Solicitor General says body cameras could have saved the justice system time and saved taxpayers money. Who attacked who first? Less than 24 hours after the routine traffic stop turned violent two years ago, Vancouver police sided with its officers. These officers were defending themselves during a routine traffic stop. But explosive footage shot by the accused, the son of a former Hells Angel, shows Constable Thomas Graham was not pulled into the SUV. Plus, he threw the first punch. The judge throwing out all charges last week, ruling the testimonies of Graham and his partner unreliable. If the police were wearing body cameras, would this case have even gone to trial, in your opinion? No. BC's former attorney general and ex-police chief pushing for a national policy on police body cameras. I'm an unyielding proponent of body cameras based on an additional accountability factor on the police officer's use of force. But what is important also is the fact that it's a piece of equipment to gather evidence. Allegations of excessive police force nationwide in recent weeks, fueling thousands of signatures on petitions, calling for body cameras to become part of a police officer's uniform. Pretty well every person in the country walks around with a video camera in their pocket. And I think they now expect that the police will take similar steps to ensure that they have uh, uh, video cameras to record the interactions they have with the public. The Calgary Police Service is the only major force in Canada to issue body cameras to frontline officers. The Prime Minister vowed earlier this month to push the premiers to equip police, municipal and federal, with body cameras. To record. BC's Minister of Public Safety says he wants to work with the federal government, but there are obstacles. Um, the cost is a significant, uh, a significant question for many uh, police departments and many municipalities. There are issues around privacy, for example. Proponents of the cameras argue there's also a cost to drawn out legal battles to get to the truth. Romina Dea, Global News. 
The B.C. government is buying another hotel to help provide social housing. The government is spending $17.9 million to purchase the American Hotel on the downtown east side and the adjacent property. The short-term plan is to use the hotel's 42 rooms as supportive housing spaces, while the long-term goal is to redevelop the two lots for low-income rental housing. The province has been on a bit of a shopping uh, spending spree lately, purchasing two other Vancouver hotels along with two others in Victoria, also to be used as social housing. Well, what was supposed to be a two-hour Sunday sailing turned into a five-hour nightmare for hundreds of ferry passengers after the coastal renaissance broke down off Nanaimo. BC Ferries has apologized for the overnight ordeal, but as Ted Chernecki reports, some are wondering if the ferry corporation should be subject to the same consumer protections as airlines. The coastal renaissance was back in service today. This German-built vessel is only 13 years old, one of the newest in the fleet. Last night, just after leaving Duke Point for Tawasson, an electrical problem shut down the engines. Five minutes out, experienced engine trouble. Uh, it started drifting and the engines shut off. And uh, the next thing we knew, we heard the sound of the anchors dropping. Okay, engines out, anchors down. This is not good. 569 passengers, most of them confined to the vehicle deck, waited more than four hours before finally disembarking back in Nanaimo. We understand that they were delayed for much longer than the original travel plan, which would have been about two hour crossing. Uh, so we did offer the complimentary food and beverages that we had on board to our passengers. Compare that to Canada's new Air Passenger Bill of Rights, where a delay of three to six hours gets a passenger $400, and the longer the delay, the more the airline pays, up to 1000 There is no Bill of Rights for ferry passengers. I think to have a, a Bill of Rights for customers simply for the ferry service may be going somewhat too far. We do have the Independent Ferry Commissioner who will take... Uh, people's concerns if they are not being um, dealt with properly by BC Ferries. Some motorists waited over an hour to get a refund, then had to find their own accommodation. These situations are uh, reviewed on a case-by-case -case basis, so we ask them to contact customer care. Inconvenience aside, a marine expert believes there's a bigger safety issue here. Luckily it happened where it did in Nanaimo Harbour, but here in, in Howe Sound, if that had happened, leaving the water depth off here is up to 1,200 feet. Your, your, your anchor isn't going to pick up to your basically in White Cliff Park in the, you know, on the beach. The first of three tugs didn't arrive on scene until close to midnight. Ted Chernacki, Global News. A family outing on an Okanagan beach nearly takes a tragic turn. Uh, to be honest, I, I didn't know. I really didn't know what the outcome was going to be. A toddler is found floating face down in the water. How quick-thinking bystanders jumped in to help. That's in just over a minute. A St. Louis couple bring out their weapons as protesters march down their street. The tense moments coming up on the News Hour Plus. Oh, 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 Brady, slow down. A Winnie the Pooh moment for a Wisconsin family. How they rescued a bear in a bucket later. Circle around, Right now, though, it is being called a miracle and one that should serve as a reminder to all parents to watch their children closely around water. An Okanagan toddler is alive today thanks to one alert and quick-thinking family and an off-duty firefighter. Here's Global's Claudia Van Emmerich. It's a popular family beach park, but what happened here in Naramata last week is something beachgoers won't soon forget. 
Um, nobody saw him go into the water. Nobody saw him drowning. Nobody saw him floating. Like, nobody had any idea. And that's just how quickly it can happen. Megan Thompson's two daughters were in the lake last Wednesday playing when they spotted a toddler floating head down. Her 11-year-old came running onto the beach. The Penticton mom dropping everything, running waist deep into the lake to rescue the young child. I grabbed the baby. Uh, he was just so heavy. He was completely unresponsive. He was floating with his legs and arms wide open at the very top of the water, face down. I ran him back into the lake, into the shore, and I was yelling at this point, somebody help me, somebody help me. A scared Megan Thompson described seeing an off-duty firefighter who happened to be on the beach. She passed him the lifeless child and he jumped into action and started performing CPR. That off-duty firefighter was Chad Taylor. Uh, to be honest, I, I didn't know. I really didn't know what the outcome was going to be. And I can't recall how long I was doing CPR, um, just a few, less than a few minutes. And uh, he started to make some noises and, and come around. So his, his color came back, his pulse came back. It's not known how the child ended up in the water or how long he had been submerged. These things happen and uh, we're just thankful that it worked out. While Taylor acknowledges the role he played in saving the young boy's life, it's the two young girls and their mom he credits the most. There were so many things that had to go right and, and it just did. The close call, a reminder to be extra cautious around the water this summer season. Let's wear our life jackets. Let's keep eyes on our, on our children and, and uh, other people's children. Claudia Van Emmerich, Global News. RCMP and the coroner are investigating after a man was fatally mauled by a dog in Kamloops. It happened just before noon at a home in the 900 block of Sing Street. Police and paramedics were called for a report of a dog attack. RCMP say witnesses told them a pit bull who lives at the home attacked a man who was visiting. The victim did not survive. The dog was seized at the scene and sedated by conservation officers. RCMP say the animal will be euthanized. Up next, Tim Hortons under scrutiny. It was trying to infer every time I visited one of the company's competitors. How the app might be tracking much more than just your favorite coffee order. Plus, headed for the Hall of Fame, a province pundit scores a huge honor. Emergency crews are on the scene to a multi-vehicle accident here in Surrey, southbound on 152nd Street and Fraser Highway. Traffic is heavily backed up southbound from 96th Avenue. Kermat Collision and Auto Glass have been family-run and locally owned since 1973. For unmatched quality repairs and exceptional service, choose Kermac. For local information, visit Kermac.com. I'm Trish Jewison in Global One, high above a crash in Surrey. It could be double-double trouble for Tim Hortons. A nationwide privacy investigation has been launched into the coffee chain's mobile app. The concern is the app's always-on geolocation tracking and how that information is being used. Aaron MacArthur reports. Logging into Tim Hortons sounds like a fairly straightforward, harmless thing to do. But it turns out by using the app, the fast food company probably knows way more about you than how you like your coffee. The company had been logging my location um, extremely regularly. National Post reporter James McLeod spent months poring over the data the company had on him. It included information on his coffee habits, but also on overseas trips he took. Even the address of an ex-girlfriend. RBI, 
Tim Horton's parent company uses a third-party U.S. firm to mine the app for geolocators, tracking things like when people are in proximity to competitors' stores. It's not uncommon. I see Tim Hortons as a case study of what I suspect many, many companies are doing. Privacy commissioners from across the country are now looking at Tim Hortons and whether the company broke privacy rules. Just saying, can we collect location data? Please read the privacy policy that's 131 pages. Uh, it's not an acceptable form of consent. Tim Hortons states clearly on its app what information it collects and why. But technology experts say the issue is when companies track people outside of typical business transactions. Get information like, I know that you go to Weight Watchers. I know that you visited your ex-boyfriend's home three months after you broke up. I know what doctors you go to. That, do you, you know, do we want people to know that? Do we want other people and corporations or the government to know that? And I think there's a clear answer. New phones allow for modification of the amount and type of data companies can collect but it requires consumers to actively monitor privacy settings. Aaron MacArthur, Global News. Up next, surging COVID numbers and new shutdowns. We don't like the trend line. The alarming numbers forcing restart rollbacks in parts of the U.S. Traffic is in pretty good shape over here tonight at the Alex Fraser Bridge. No delays north or south. Keep in mind, though, lane closures for overnight maintenance in both directions from 10 p.m. to 5 a.m. For 47 years, Kermit Collision and Autoglass has provided unmatched superior customer service and satisfaction. With 18 lower mainland locations, there's a Kermit in your neighborhood. Visit Kermit.com. I'm Trish Jewison in Global One at the Alex Fraser Bridge. Shocking video out of St. Louis where two people were caught on video pointing guns at a group of Black Lives Matter protesters. The group was walking through the gated community on their way to the mayor's residence, protesting her decision to publish the names and addresses of people in favor of police reform, and they were demanding her resignation. Thankfully, the pair did not fire their weapons and no one was hurt. Cases of COVID-19 in the U.S. are rising at record-breaking rates. The surge is prompting some parts of the country to pull back on reopenings of restaurants and bars as some hospitals are already becoming strained by the influx of patients. In Florida tonight, the coronavirus storm threatening the state's pristine shores. A surge of cases, more than 23,000 in three days, shutting down beaches for the 4th of July. I get it, but at the same time, it just really sucks to not be able to go to the beach. This step is necessary, again, to protect the community. I think that it's a very tough thing for them to do, but I admire anyone that has to make that decision. But some residents are furious with their mayors. We're all in this together now, and we will get through it. Get over it. You know, it's like any other sickness, I feel like, any other flu. Nationwide, COVID is rising in 29 states, 11 of them by more than 100% in the last two weeks. And late today, the Arizona governor ordered bars, gyms, and water parks to shut down for at least a month. In California, the governor now closing bars again in seven counties, including L.A., where cases hit a record high. We don't like the trend line. In South Carolina, frontline workers taken aback by their young patients. I remember taking care of one patient in particular, not but three years older than I am, no medical problems, healthy, and watching this patient struggle to breathe, gasping for air because of COVID. 
Um, it's scary. Now the COVID surge dealing a crushing setback to businesses here in Miami Beach on famed Ocean Drive. Restaurants and hotels just got the beaches back only to see them shut down again for the crucial holiday weekend. Our hotel guests come to go to the beach. So now, you know, most of our hotel guests have canceled their reservations. The beaches are out for now, but the movie business is hoping for better days. AMC today announcing its theaters will reopen nationwide by the end of July. Sam Brock, NBC News, Miami Beach. Cirque du Soleil, which has seen a halt to its aerobatic shows due to COVID-19, has filed for creditor protection while it develops a plan to restart its business. The Montreal-based company's application goes before a Quebec court tomorrow. A group of existing investors already has a deal in place to take over the company, inject 300 million U.S. into it, and provide financial support for 3,500 laid-off workers. And it's official. Broadway will remain dark at least through the end of this year. The Broadway League announcing all performances of some 39 plays and musicals are cancelled until 2021 while they work on safety protocols for the curtain to rise again. Returning shows will resume performances over a series of rolling openings in early 2021, but no specific dates have been set. Last year, Broadway shows collectively grossed $1.8 billion U.S. In Health Matters tonight, the company behind a drug that can help severely ill COVID-19 patients has put a universal price tag on the treatment. A five-day course of remdesivir will be offered to all developed countries at the same price, $3,100 Canadian. But some patients may need double that amount. Gilead Sciences says the one-price model eliminates the need for country-by-country -country negotiations, which would slow down access to the medication. Consumer advocates argue the price point could be under $1.50 per day if manufactured by generic drug makers. To date, Gilead has donated 250,000 treatment courses of remdesivir. Just ahead, a shocking find on Vancouver Island. I was completely and utterly devastated shock an investigation launched into sea lion carcasses washing ashore plus rising river levels turn roads into streams give a shout out tag posts with hashtag bc healthcare heroes or email bc healthcare heroes at globalnews.ca to share with global news bc healthcare heroes in partnership with fortis bc caring for the bc communities where we live and work Renewed controversy tonight over a destructive and illegal marine harvest that many people don't know about. A warning, some of the pictures in this story may be disturbing. As Linda Aylesworth reports, it follows the discovery of a number of sea lion carcasses on Vancouver Island. Sea lions are enormous and loud. And some would even say magnificent, but clearly not all. They are headless uh, sea lions that have washed up on the shore and the carcasses are rotting on the shores and, and people are upset about it, and rightly so. I was completely and utterly devastated, shocked. Um, couldn't believe that I was even looking at something um, of that nature. Deborah Short came across this scene in March at Neck Point Park in Nanaimo. It wouldn't be the first decapitated sea lion she would find. In total... From March 20th through to June 10th, I have found five sea lions myself. 
From Nanaimo to Campbell River, there have been similar reports. So what's happening? At this point, there's only speculation. There's a lot of hate for pinnipeds out on the water. Uh, fishermen are always talking about killing them. Pacific Balance Marine Management is seeking federal approval to kill sea lions legally. And yet on their Facebook page, they spoke out against the decapitations, saying, OK, sea lion headhunter, you're going to screw things up big time for all if you don't clean up your harvesting properly because it uh, directly affects their public relations to have these animals washing on shore when they're trying to propose uh, you know, a, a large-scale harvest. And so on the same Facebook page, a solution was posted. You shove a sharp knife in and open stomach so gases don't build with decomposition and carcass floats. In other words, sink it. As for the decapitations, apparently a sea lion head can fetch big money in the taxidermy market. So what's being done about it? The Department of Fisheries and Oceans says they're aware of pinniped-related social media activities and are monitoring these closely. Linda Aylesworth, Global News. A family out for an evening on the water spotted a bear with a serious problem. We got a bear here. The young bear had a jug stuck on its head. We'll show you how the family helped right after Christie's forecast. And just before we get to Christie, officials in the Fraser Valley Regional District are keeping a close eye on the Fraser River as water levels begin to creep up again. This is what it looks like right now at the Harrison Resort and RV Park laneways, now more suitable for kayaks than vehicles. The recent hot weather has restarted the snow melts, and that, along with rainfall, is causing river levels to rise. The BC River Forecast Centre issued a high stream flow advisory last week, meaning no widespread flooding, but localized floods. The district says Harrison Lake has increased substantially over the past week. Eleven properties along the river in the Fraser Valley are now under an evacuation alert. So you've had to move your trailer? Yeah, twice. Yeah. My barbecue's floating, but I can't do anything about it. Now, officials don't expect the Fraser to reach major flood levels, but they are warning people to stay clear of fast-flowing water. All right, well, let's check in with meteorologist Christy Gordon for a closer look at that forecast. Christy? Thanks, Sophie. So when it comes to that lower Fraser River area, there's sort of two things that one is more of the localized uh, area in terms of a rainfall. Now, overall, it is does look like things are going to subside this week, but it is vulnerable to localized heavy rainfall over that southern uh, part of the Fraser River, the lower Fraser. And we also watch the upper region, so up and through the interior region as well. But it takes a long time for that moisture to make its way down. It's a good three to five days before we start to see the effects of areas from the upper Fraser make its way down to the lower Fraser. So here's a look at what we can expect. So overall for the lower Fraser, we are not expecting anything significant. Now we do have later tomorrow afternoon, so just a few showers in the morning, but tomorrow afternoon a risk of thunderstorms in through the Fraser Valley and across the mountain area. So that's what we'll be watching closely because those isolated showers certainly could affect that lower Fraser area. And then into Wednesday, more significant rain expected for the Caribou and the central interior regions. So we'll be watching that in terms 
terms of its effect coming down. Sun halos, lots of people sending me photos today. Thank you so much. Yes, a little bit of crystal in the high level of the atmosphere, and that uh, creates that halo as the sun refracts in the um, refracts in the ice crystals. So a risk of showers and thunder showers tomorrow. We are going to see mainly cloudy skies tomorrow. Breaks of sunshine in the afternoon, but we continue with a chance of showers. So a little unsettled over the next few days, Sophie, before the sun returns on Friday. And your central windows weather window is a cute little five-day-old American coot just outside of Vernon. Thanks so much to Burton, uh, Bruce. Pardon me for that. Wow, that is cute. A cute coot. All right, thanks very much, Christy. Now back to that baby bear with a big problem. Yeah, go a little faster, Brady. You got to get in front of him. A Wisconsin family was out fishing when they spotted what looked like a dog struggling in the water. But when they got up close, they realized it was actually a young bear with a plastic jug stuck on its head. They jumped into action, and after a couple of attempts, they were able to remove the jug from the bear's head. Keep coming. Yep, 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 yep. Keep coming. Yes. Gotcha. Yeah, go. We saved our little bear. The family then watched the bear safely swim to shore. Now, we think the jar had once had Cheetos or something like that in it, Squire. <laughs> anyway, what have you got for Didn't me? Winnie the Pooh used to get the honey pot exactly. stuck in his head? Yeah. Who helped him with it? Piglet, Eeyore? I can't remember now. Probably Piglet. Uh, longtime hockey writer Tony Gallagher is someone who knew what a big story was. I always liked the satisfaction of a well-broken story, you know, that. That was nice. Today, he is the big story. Tony is in the Hockey Hall of Fame. And later, a marathon of a different kind. A runner's attempt to hit every street in his hometown. Square's got a scoop. Well, I don't know how scoopy it is, but it's... Just go with it. Not official yet. But the uh, word is Hastings Park Racetrack has been given the thumbs up by government to start racing next Monday without fans, of course. It'll be a 25-day racing season running only on Monday and Tuesday afternoon. Because of no fans, the main consideration is to get the track running on days when there might not be as much competition for online betting for horse racing. Monday, Tuesday afternoons work very well for that. Uh, there won't be as many stake races this year, obviously, but there will be a BC Derby, and the season will go until late September. Former province sports writer Tony Gallagher was named to the Hockey Hall of Fame today. He started at the paper in 1972 as a junior hockey reporter, eventually became part of the Canucks beat in 1976. His career spanned 45 years. He's a member of the BC Sports Hall of Fame, and he knew his chances of being in the Hockey Hall of Fame were pretty good. But you can never be too sure of that until they actually give you the phone call. Uh, I was like totally in shock after the call came and, and during the call because I had given up hope. The call means Gallagher is the first Vancouver hockey writer to be immortalized by the Hall of Fame. He's a writer who was fearless. Management and players may not have always liked what he had to write about them, but they respected the fact he wouldn't hide from them after he did. If they had a problem with me, they could come up and see me. And most of the time, a lot of them did, you know, and they would confront you and say, what'd you write this for? Why did you write that? You know, and they would have an argument and I would usually easily knock the argument down. His famous battles with Brian Burke were almost as much fun as the Canucks games on some nights. 
but it was an earlier Canucks GM that gave him his nickname, Undertaker. That was actually Jake Milford, if you can believe it. It was mostly because of my complexion. I had this, you know, this white pall all the time. And that's the reason he called me the Undertaker. And then, as you'll remember, the, Nate, the late Neil McRae picked it up and uh, kind of perpetuated it. And then Dave Pratt perpetuated it, and it, it sort of lived on. With his vast array of contacts, it seemed that Gallagher sometimes knew what was happening with the Canucks before they did, like the time he broke the story of Pavel Bure wanting out of town. Well, that was largely uh, through Pavel. I think he had respected me because I kind of stuck up for Russians in the past. Again, Pavel was aware of that, and I, I had a really good relationship with him. Plus, his agent was Mike Gillis. And that relationship with Mike Gillis led Tony to be asked by the Aquilini family if they should hire him as the Canucks GM back in 2008. You know, I was asked, consulted, and uh, I gave the Aquilini family uh, my thoughts and uh, kind of introduced them, as it were, and uh, I thought he was a very, very bright guy. And to this day, I think he's been, was perhaps the most successful general manager in Canucks history. And Tony Gallagher himself was a big part of Canucks history as well. It's been a phenomenal ride, and it's, it, it started right from the beginning of getting on the beat, and it hasn't ended uh, really yet now with this, but even eventful things happening during the Gillis era and that, it was, it was a lot of fun. The Toronto Blue Jays still don't know where they'll play their home games when the uh, baseball season starts up in July. They've asked all levels of government for the OK to host them in Toronto, but that would mean visiting teams would not be in quarantine after crossing the border. The Ontario government said OK, but the federal government is the one that has the ultimate say and they have yet to decide. If they can't play in Toronto, then the home games will be played down in Florida. Right now they are sending their players to their training facility in Dunedin, Florida. There you go. Why, thank you, Squire. You're welcome. Let's check in with Andrew and now for a look ahead to Global News at 11. And Thanks, Sophie. A big step today towards Surrey's transition to a civic police force. Nine people were named to the city's first police board, which will oversee the new police force and hire a top cop. We'll let you know who the key players are, when we can expect the first hires, and when the RCMP will likely wrap up operations in BC's second largest city. That story and more when you join us tonight at 11 o'clock. Sophie. All right, and thank you. Tonight's healthcare hero is coming up. Plus, a Canadian runner's quest to run every road in town. It's time to give a shout out to our hardworking BC healthcare heroes on the front line of the COVID-19 pandemic. Tonight's nomination comes from Bobby and Bruce Curry. They wanted to recognize a whole family of heroes, starting with Maria Devesa. Maria has been working in public health in Nanaimo for 15 years. Since the outbreak of the pandemic, she's been on the front line every day doing COVID assessment and testing in addition to her regular duties. Maria also relies on the support of her parents Margot and Jamie, who jumped in to help with childcare when activities for the kids stopped. And Maria's brother, Carlos, is also a healthcare hero, a respiratory therapist going to work without hesitation at Victoria General Hospital. And if that wasn't enough, Carlos's wife, Jen, is a labor and delivery nurse at Vic General because COVID-19 waits for no one. Maria, Carlos and family, Bobby and Bruce say you are all heroes for what you're doing right now. And we want to thank you and your entire family for your dedication 
to BC. Great family picture. Now, if you have a BC Healthcare Hero to nominate, send us an email to bchealthcareheroes at globalnews.ca. Include a few pictures and some information about why they are your hero, and we might feature them next. Well, the Guess Who's running back to Saskatoon tore up the music charts in the fall of 1972. And nearly 50 years later, one Saskatoon man has taken that song to heart. Although, as our Brendan Purdy tells us, his version may best be described as running all over Saskatoon. Troy Harkness really loves running. He's been pounding the pavement for roughly 30 years, both for fun and in marathons. His initial step into running came from his father, who inspired him, albeit in a unique way. My dad's a big guy, and he showed me a picture of himself when he was 18. And he said, Troy, you and I look the same. I'm your future. From that day on, Harkness was a runner. His passion has seen him compete in a dozen marathons, but injuries caused a halt in training four years ago. So Harkness came up with a new goal. And I said, okay, I got it. I got a project. I'm going to just run every street and uh, every alley and every trail in Saskatoon. And, uh, and that motivated me. To track his progress, he used a heat map on a running application on his phone. And within the next couple of weeks, he'll complete his goal. Harkness runs four to five times a week with his favorite route coming along the riverbanks of the South Saskatchewan River. However, his routes have taken him far beyond the city limits. I run a lot of grid roads out in the country, and there's nothing out there except scenery, um, no people, no cars. While enjoying the exercise in nature during his runs, it's the calming effect it has on him that he enjoys the most. It's, it's a place, where, yeah, where I'm completely alone and, and it's quiet. As for how long Harkness plans to keep at it, he says he'll stop running the day that he drops. Brendan Purdy, Global News. He's very nice coordination in yeah. his yeah. running. I have a goal to run every street in Spuzzum. How many are there? I don't know. <laughs> I think there might be one. Perfect. I'll join you in that goal. Okay. Today. All right, Christy, final word on the weather. <laughs> Sure, we're starting to see some cloud cover roll in. Slight chance of showers tomorrow morning. We should see some breaks of blue sky, but still a chance of showers through the evening hours tomorrow. All right, that's all the time we have tonight. Thanks for joining us. Have a good night, all.